0: time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did, because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart, They've got passion for God, they're leading intercession on their schools, they're set apart, consecrated under God, and they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Hey, I want to, I'm interested in this room tonight, how many of you gave your life to Jesus sometime before the age of 10? I mean, sometime as a kid, all right? Let me hear, let me hear you. I can't see you very well, so let me hear you. All right. All right. If, if you gave your life to Jesus uh, when you were older, maybe let's say let's say ten to ten to thirteen, right in there. Let me hear you. All right, all right. So a little bit less. How about thirteen to sixteen, right in there? All right, okay, a little bit less. All right. How about how about sixteen to to twenty, right in there? One. All right, all right, okay. So so out of those who have said yes to follow Jesus in the room here tonight. The majority of you gave your life to Jesus when you're young. And that's a lot like me. My story is the same way. I, I grew up, um, I grew up and I was, I was a Christian, like a, from as early as I could remember, like when I was about five, I think I gave my life to Jesus or so. And I was the kind of kid that wore, I, I, my dad was a pastor and I liked it, uh, you know, coming to the front row and, and wearing, we didn't have children's church. That wasn't something that we believed in. And so, uh. And so all the kids had to sit in church. And uh, I, I, so I, I liked wearing a three-piece pinstripe suit when I was six. And, uh, yeah. And so my boy's nine, and he doesn't have a suit. But I was six when I was wearing a suit. And uh, I had a maroon tie. It was clip-on. Yeah. All right. It wasn't real. But I'd wear this clip-on tie. I'd sit on the front row, and uh, I'd pretend like I was taking notes. I wasn't really taking notes. But uh people thought I was taking notes. And uh people'd always go, Yeah, way to go, you know, good job, that kind of thing. But I I wore this suit and I was I was a good kid. I was for the most part, you know, I was a I was a pretty good kid and, and really if the truth was is that I, I I wanted to follow God. I really I really liked God and, and as I got older, you know, and into the ages of ten, eleven, twelve, 12, same thing. I I really never had a season where I went through some kind of big rebellion. I never did drugs or anything like that. Uh but I'm sure most people aren't at 10, but my point is, is that even all through junior high and high school, but, but so, so I was kind of a, a, a pretty good kid. And when I went to a, a, a public junior high as a seventh grader, I went in and I was still, I was, I was a pretty good kid. I, I did a lot of things right. I grew up, that was seventh grade. That was when I got into the youth group. I was excited about being in the youth group. I didn't know why the teenagers got to have such cool stuff, but I always wanted to be a teenager. I looked forward to being a teenager. Teenagers teenagers got to, you know, drive around on buses. Teenagers got to leave their parents on trips. And I was excited about that. And so I really, as a seventh grader, got excited about being a teenager, you know, being a part of the youth group kind of thing. It wasn't like this. My youth group was about 25. And so this would have, you know, been like, you know, like gargantuan compared to that. But but, but so I, so when I was seventh grade, I, I remember going to a public school and starting to like really trying to be a Christian and, and trying to follow God. But my, my worldview of Christianity was, was, was kind of youth groupy. It was kind of just being a good person, being a good kid. I knew Jesus. I'd spent time with Jesus. I, I love Jesus. But, but my, the, what, if, if you were to say being a Christian, being a Christ follower, giving your life to Jesus, the, the images that ran through my mind were were mostly that of kind of keeping the rules and smiling and, and being a good kid. So in seventh grade, I, I liked the youth group. We we did things, you know, like sing. I am a C. I am a C H. I am a C H R I S T I A N, and I have C H R I S T in my A C A R T, and I will L I B E T E R N A W A Y. I am a C. I am a C H. Come on, sing if you know. It. I'm a C H R I S T I A N. And I have C H R S T in my H A R T, and I will L I V E T R in it. double am a. Then we let me mix it up. We said I am a Kong. I am a Kong Hong. I am a Kong Hong Rong. I song Tong. ain't not. because you do not do that? And I have Kong Hong Rong. I song Tong in my Hong A Rong Tong. And I will anyway. So we did. with that. So it was youth groupy. It was kind of fun, and it was kind of like a little bit goofy, and we had kind of subculture church meaning we we did youth group stuff. And when we'd go away on retreats, we do we do fun things, and we'd play chubby bunny, and we'd do all that, and, uh, and so I lived that way, that was seventh grade, that was seventh grade Christianity for me, seventh grade Christianity was, I was a good kid in junior high, seventh grade, and I was, I was, I was, wasn't doing anything wrong, but eighth grade, something messed with me, when I, when I, when I got into the eighth grade, one of my friends came to know Jesus. And uh, he had zero church background, zero. Like his parents, he came from a pretty broken family and it wasn't, uh, it, it, was, it was real confusing his whole back history, his whole story. I came from kind of a real squeaky clean little family and he came from one that was totally broken and totally messed up. He came to know Jesus in eighth grade and, and, and he came from zero knowledge. I mean like nothing, like no knowledge. And, and, and it, it, it started to, change me. Because I was the kid that I, I, I if you were to even just talk about what it meant to follow Jesus, what it meant to give everything, what the, the, the images that went through my mind were just one set of things. I mean it was like like that summer, you know, I thought I was doing it. I was I was voted camper of the week. I mean I memorized the Bible. I mean I I could smile big. I was I was that kid. I had sung the songs, knew the B-I-B-L-E. That's, that's the book for me. I, I just, I, I had a, if you said following Jesus. The, the images in my mind were like kind of this set of being a good kid and doing the right thing. But all that got messed up in eighth grade because because my friend came to know Jesus. And, and when my friend came to na- know Jesus, his name was Ashan. And Ashan had zero background. and And he started doing... Just some crazy things. Just some things because he was broken and, and he, he really came from a, a place of brokenness. He came from, I mean, he was a partier. He was popular. He was, he was a free safety on the football team in the fall of eighth grade and, 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 and really excelled. We you know you'd hear his name on the announcements all the time because he was always, you know, player of the week or whatever. He was, we were opposites. He was cool, popular, buff. African Americans awesome rock star, cool guy. I was short, nerdy, white, mullet braces kid. and um, he'd gone through puberty in fourth grade, and I still hadn't gone through puberty yet, and so we were like opposites. I mean we were completely different, but he uh his encounter with god his 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 revolution, his three sixty, his change from absolute going after the world and not knowing anything of Christ, to suddenly surrendering his life to Jesus and giving his life completely to him, massively messed up my eighth grade year. It massively rearranged for me. It, 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 it discombobulated what I perceived when I thought of Christianity. It messed me up. Because I lived a civilized I, I lived a civilized Christian life. I mean, I—truth I, I, be told—I was doing a lot of the right things. I was—I was memorizing Bible. I was singing worship songs. I was—I was doing that deal. I was a good kid. I was, I'm going to use the word tonight. I was civilized. I, it made sense. I was just doing it, what I was supposed to do. But, but Sean—he—he he changed things for me, because Sean—he he gave his life to Jesus and. Within four days, he asked if he could speak at FCA. Now, FCA was put on by teachers. And no kid had ever spoken at FCA. And he said, I want, I want to preach. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, because I want to share what Jesus has done in my life. And I just remember thinking, wow, like, whoa, like, that's your reputation on the line. That's, that's kind of interesting. And, and then when he got up he'd only been a, a Christian for 4 days and he really didn't even know how to preach and so it was more like a drama monologue feel. And I just remember watching as he as he was he acted like this beggar and he he and, he and his whole thing was a beggar begging for bread and then he talked about how in his brokenness he was so hungry and he was so needy and he was so so desperate and Jesus had changed his life and 4 days 4 days in he was preaching. 4 days in, 4 days after giving his life to Jesus he's like asking the teacher, "Let me preach." Let me talk. Messed with me. I remember sitting there in that FCA, eighth grade. And, uh, and I was thinking, this, what, 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 what is this? It was, it was uncomfortable for me. Because I thought I was, I was going the right direction. I thought I was doing the right thing. But in a sense, I was suddenly seeing this new spirit of evangelism, this new eagerness, this new, uh, this new dynamic where God had so changed his life that he wanted to talk about it. And his life was changed. It was different. He started doing weird things, like bringing his Bible to school, public school. I thought it was crazy. I looked at him and was like, "Oh, you, are you are you are you bringing that to like make a stand?" And he goes, "No, I want to read it." I was like, "Oh, I've never thought of that." You know, like, it's like no, I want to read it." And he, I in classes, he'd pull out his Bible and. You know, public junior high for our, for us it was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, and then there was a break, and then the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth were in the high school. So we were, you know, eighth grade in the junior high, and, and he's reading his Bible and, so, and I remember him reading it in, in drama, you know, like like over on the side, reading his Bible in school. And I just there was this I I was just it was awkward. It was like it was like I wanted to explain to him, listen, listen, we church kids, we've all got Bibles. And we don't bring them. We we all know that we're supposed to talk to people about Jesus, but we don't do it. This is awkward. This is, in a sense, you could say this is this is un, uncivilized Christianity. Let me bring you into my world of civilized Christianity. And, and he and he would actually start to do the things that he would read. So so someone had told him that. If you want to learn about salvation, Romans is a great place to read about about salvation. So he read Romans, and at the end of Romans, Romans 16, 16, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. He's got no understanding of contextualization. So I remember him meeting me in the hallway. I'm his Christian brother. And he would greet me with a holy kiss. And I try to explain to him, no, 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 We we don't really do it. We just, and he was like, it's right here. It's right here. Paul says it, and I'm like, and I just remember the awkwardness, some of the weirdness, like what do you, what, it's, just, it's, it's barbaric, it's, it's, it's weird, it's, it's uncivilized, it's not normal. And he did a whole lot of unnormal, I mean, just abnormal, crazy things. Another thing is he had a crush on a Christian girl, right? True story. Fifth hour. And I remember he showed me the letter, the note. No, Junior High, it's notes. The note that he was gonna send her, that he was gonna give her, he's gonna to pass to her, he's gonna to hand to her. He showed me the note. Somehow he had found Song of Songs. <laughs> and he had written down verse by verse, where he just, it just said, it said her name, dear so and so, and then he just sung songs. In parentheses, this is in the Bible. You know. And then he just... And she was like this nice, you know, Baptist girl, you know, or whatever. And he's like... It, it, it said... He, he, he wrote this. It said... And I don't know how many of you have read Song of Songs. But it, it said, you know, your teeth are like a flock of goats. And, and if you read Song of Songs 4, this is what he wrote. And your neck is like the Tower of David. And your... I'm not even going to say all that it says. Ah. Uh, I mean, but it was, it's for real. Um, I suddenly just created a life verse for all of you, but <clears throat> if you get bored in my sermon, just go read Song of the songs for, so you say, hey, the preacher was preaching on it, I'm reading it tonight, I feel like I found my life verse tonight, all right, so, so he hands this to the girl, you know, and I can't even explain to you, because we were all in the class together, I can't even explain to you the awkwardness. Like, I just, I want to just like, I just want to leave. I just, because because there's so many things that he was just taking at such face value as a newly formed Christian, as a new believer. And some of it was awkward. Most of it was incredible. Most of it was amazing. Because out of nowhere, he started calling us to pray and started talking about how we needed to share the gospel with our friends and he started talking about how we needed to read the scriptures and, and, and we had all known those things but we were so used to knowing it but not doing it that we had slowly become just civilized, sweet Christian kids and this guy who was new to Christianity, the knowledge of the gospel, the power of what Jesus did for him was so alive, so fresh, he wanted to talk about the resurrection, and he wanted to talk about what it means, what it meant that Jesus ascended into heaven, and he wanted to talk about who Jesus was, and he wanted to talk about uh, what's going on in the Bible here when it says this, and there was this vitality, and there was this freshness, and there was this eagerness. And so suddenly, as an eighth grader, my world got turned upside down because what I saw as radical Christianity, what I saw as like vibrancy and 100% wholehearted shifted because a, a, a new believer, someone stepped in and saw it with eyes full of wonder, saw following Jesus in kind of a fresh way. And all of a sudden, I had to like step out of my subculture. And try to face the real facts of what did Jesus call us to do? And why is this guy who's just reading it for the first time actually wanting to pray and fast and give to the poor? Because I knew, no, 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 what we do is we, we no, we don't do those things. We play Chubby Bunny and sing c h r i s c i n and we go on retreats because our parents feel bad for us because we're in puberty. And so and so that's what we do. We're, we're, we're a Christian subculture teenage group. And we don't really do those things. And we don't really try to tell people about Jesus. And we don't really do some of those things because we do some of it. But we pick and choose what we want to do. And we want to do what's easy. And we want to do what's convenient. But I remember the friendship with this guy and the freshness with which he saw the gospel and the freshness with with which he read the word and the faith that he had in praying and the confidence that he had that when he prayed, God heard him, that God was at work and it just messed up my eighth grade year. It messed me up. When I got into ninth grade, I was a different kid. And my, my transformation didn't change because of a retreat. My transformation didn't change because of a sermon. My, my transformation changed because I saw a whole new way of being a Christ follower. And it wasn't one that was formed in kind of the church world. It was one, a fresh believer who got plucked out of the darkness and saw Jesus for the first time and in the culture, where I lived, he tried to live it for real in the present tense. And he didn't know the subculture. He didn't care about the subculture. In fact, we didn't, he didn't really go to church very much because his parents didn't take him. So his vision was to start a church within our junior high. And I wanted to say, well, no, here's how church works now. The way church works now is you go through college and then seminary and then you're ordained and then you get a, a building and you become a a church one day and he says says who I'm going, like, no 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 well you don't start a church we're junior high kids and he goes well why not and I'm going well I don't know I guess I I I, uh, I mean can you sing I mean what you have to sing? Uh, I, get, I, I, I I don't know. I, we sing at my church. He was like, "Well, do we have to?" I guess not. Well, do we, are we going to? We have like offering plates. He's like, "Do we have to?" I said, "I don't know." I, he's like, "Do we have to?" I'm like, "I guess not." He's like, it seems like we could just like pull our friends together and pray together and talk about Jesus and read the Bible together. And I was like, "I don't." Okay. Maybe so. And the, 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 the subculture of the church world hadn't formed ideas in his head about how to live with one foot in the world, one foot in the church and coexist. Instead, there was some freshness and, and it and some vitality, and it, it was uncomfortable. It was awkward. But that awkwardness was what kind of pushed us over the edge to start to see God do some incredible, amazing things in high school. When I look at the scriptures, when I read just the gospels, and I look at the life of Jesus, there are people that step into religious culture, and they mess it up. And Jesus doesn't seem to be bugged by them. He seems to love them. And these people that do some of these awkward things, these people that so see Jesus in such a fresh way and encounter him in such a fresh way, that that awkwardness bugs people, but it brings honor to God. And so people go, ooh, don't do that. Oh, that's awkward. And God goes, I like that guy. You see it with John the Baptist. John the Baptist steps on the scene of history, right? John the Baptist is bizarre. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, steps up on the scene, and he starts looking at Herod and starts calling him to repent. Can you imagine the awkwardness? He's like, did he just tell the king to repent because... Uh, he's having an affair. Yeah, he did. Oh, that's awkward, man. That's, uh, that guy's got power. Yeah. What, what power does John the Baptist have? I don't know, man. He wears some weird clothes, bro. John the Baptist, what's your message? Repent. Oh, okay, thank you. All right. Be different. Oh, wow. Okay. The way things are not okay. Oh, God, dude. All right. Whoa, 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 whoa. The kingdom of God is near. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> upset the fruit basket, man. That's, that's radical. That's, why, why, you, why can't you just preach what the rest of us preach? And why can't you go to the school that the rest of us go to? And why do you got to stand out in the river and baptize? And why do you got to go? Why do we have to walk so far, walk out to the Jordan to come find you? And why, And why do you wear the weird clothes? And why do you got the crazy look in your eye? I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare you the way of the Lord. I got a mission, and I don't care what all you religious folk think and what you're doing. I got a mission from God, and it doesn't matter what you say about me, because Jesus is a real and He's coming. And hey. He... And then Jesus shows up, and He's like, Oh, it's John the Baptist, calm down, chill out, stop, cuz. <laughs> It's a little too much. No, Jesus steps on the scene. Matthew eleven eleven. He goes, he's the greatest man ever born of a woman. Yeah. Ah! The awkward guy in the wilderness? Yeah. The greatest? Uh-huh. What? Yeah. He's got locusts stuck in his teeth. He's got, I mean, he's the guy with, you know, eating honey and locusts and wearing camel hair and a leather belt. Really? Yeah. Jesus says in John 5, 535, he says, John the Baptist is a burning and shining lamp. Yeah. <sighs> burning and shining lamp. Yeah. A heart that burns. A mind. He knows the scriptures. He's shining. He's preaching prophetically. It's a burning and shining lamp. And everybody else is getting a bit bugged by John the Baptist. And Jesus is going, I like him he's my man. You should be more like him. (laughs) What was so unique about John the Baptist? John the Baptist, from the days of his youth, knew what his calling was. And he had a miraculous birth. You can guarantee his mom and dad told him the stories about the angel of the Lord appearing, and the miraculous way that he was born. And you can only imagine that John the Baptist from, an early, from early, early on knows, all right, I'm a voice. And to be a voice means you're going to disrupt culture. Yeah. Culture is kind of a nice word. We say culture now, you know. The college that I went to, those are our core, value, core values. Character, culture, Christ, you know, culture, Got to impact the culture. Culture's become cute. Oh, it's kind of sweet. Sometimes culture is just a nice way to cover up the world. Sin. Brokenness. Well, David, we, it's just the culture. It's the devil. I'm not, there are so many times that there is the, the enemy is at work. And he is trying to deceive a generation. And we tolerate such things. And we go, ah, it's just the culture. And I just want to go, nah, it's just the devil. And I'm asking tonight for some of you to get so gripped. So gripped that you don't just tolerate, tolerate everything in the culture. And tolerate the way that things are. And just blame it on something else. But that you love God and hate sin. You go, I, I, I want to be a burning and shining lamp. I want to be different. I want to, I from the days of my youth, understand what Jesus has called me to. I want a prophetic unction, knowing from my childhood, from age 14, what God's called me to. I don't want to be the guy that says, yeah, I followed the culture. And, you know, I'm trying to get a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of the world, you know, and just, I'm so confused. I hear that all the time. I've been working with young people for, for 18 years. At New Life for 13, one of the favorite ways that we hide behind deception is we go, I'm so confused and I don't know what to do because I'm just so confused. You know what the enemy wants to do? Lie to you. Bring you into confusion. It's okay for you to be confused for a little bit if you're searching for truth and light in Jesus. But if you say, I'm confused, I'm confused, and it's been seven years, I just kind of want to stay confused. I go, no, no. No, Jesus said, I am the way, John 14, the truth and the life. Truth is a person. Jesus doesn't want you to live in confusion. He wants to help separate what's light, what's darkness, help you know your calling, help you fulfill what he's got for you, and those that follow him, he'll give abundant life. And you won't go, oh, but I just want the culture. I just want the culture. I just want the culture. You'll go, no, I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. And the culture doesn't look like anything compared to the surpassing greatness of Christ. Jesus saw J.B., John the Baptist. (laughs) And he loved him. He saw John. And he goes, I like him. And everybody else goes, mm. what would happen? What would happen if we as DSM, sorry, I'm so close to you guys right here. I know it's so hard. You're like, he's so right in my face and he's spitting. I'm so sorry. It's holy water. All right there it is. What would happen? Imagine with me. What would happen if we, DSM, Bunch of teenagers on the north end of town. What would happen if we got so rooted, so had a new vision, a fresh vision? What would happen if over this weekend, what would happen if tonight, tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, Sunday morning, what would happen if if God just kind of shook us and we started to get a vision, a different vision of what following Jesus looks like? For me, my story My story was really subjective. It was really unique. It was about a friend. I didn't have a vision where I visited heaven. I didn't have a Bible verse come alive. I didn't have a sermon that hit me. I didn't read, you know, a book from the top 10 list at Mardell. It was just this kid, this kid that got saved. This kid that gave his life, and all of a sudden, I had, to ch- I-, I had to face the reality. That guy who's been saved for four days is preaching, and I've never preached. That kid who's been saved for two weeks is crying out in the place of prayer in a kind of urgency that I've never possessed, singing Kong Hong Long, I Song Tongue, playing Chubby Bunny. There it is. And I had to face it. And tonight, that's my prayer. So we would so behold God and so hear him and so see him and so know that he's real. It would impact our lives. It would impact more than just a retreat. We go, I got to be different. I got to walk out of here and be a different person. I love. We want to encounter God at the beautiful mountainside, in the beautiful retreat, with the awkward cat and the weird bear. Oh, we! I, I love it here. We 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 want that. We want to encounter God at retreat, but we don't want it to stay at retreat. We want to have an encounter with the living God and go back and be massively different. The same thing happens. Are you throwing these up here when I say them? The same thing happens in Matthew 26. It's this story that I love. It's the story. I'm going to tell it. You can read it if you want to. I'm going to tell it. It's the story of this girl who shows up. She breaks this perfume on Jesus' feet. He's about to go to the cross. And the disciples get bugged. She walks in. She's got this perfume. It's worth a lot of money. She shows up. She pours it on his feet. And Peter and James and Philip and Thomas, they're all indignant is what it says in the NIV. They're bugged. She does this act of radical devotion. And the disciples are like, ugh. Jesus! (sighs) She's so uncivilized. We know what to do right here. We know that it's awkward when someone comes and pours perfume on your feet. We know you don't like that. And we know that we sit here and we eat bread and drink juice. And we know how to do this. We've been with you for three years, we're civilized she's a loser, and says they became indignant. That's not a nice word. It's not like, it doesn't say, the scripture doesn't say, and they were slightly perturbed, <laughs> pleasantly annoyed. Hmm. They're indignant. Huh. Why this waste, Jesus? This could have been sold at a high price and given to the poor. mm mm Got my religion on. I've been going to church with you, Jesus. I know you like poor people. This girl, stupid girl. (laughs) And then Jesus gets indignant. Jesus gets a bit bugged. Can you imagine? He goes, guys, what she's done... I love what she's done. I'm so grateful for. She's preparing me for my burial. And you know what? What she's done will be told all over the world. What? Yeah. I like this uncivilized act of worship. I like it. I wonder with 266 of us in the room tonight, I wonder what kind of worship is yet to take place that the world's not seen that's a bit uncivilized. I just wonder, what 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 might God do? That, that truth be told, it's something that's in your heart. It's something that God is putting inside of your heart. And maybe other people haven't done it, and maybe it's a little bit awkward. But maybe God's going to give you a vision. Maybe God's going to give a, you an idea. Maybe there's something inside of your heart that you're going to pray, worship, fast, encounter, seek God, lead, be bold. All the things we read in the scriptures. And Maybe God's going to give you an idea, And other people are going to go, "Oh, that's so different, and that's so, and that's so weird and that's so And the civilized people, all the civilized Christians, are going to be slightly bugged, maybe indignant. And there's going to be a smile on Jesus' face that goes, "I like him. I like her.") Can you imagine? When John the Baptist stood face to face with Jesus, entered into heaven. What's up, cousin? How you doing? Good. How you doing? Well, Gave my life. I saw that. You were quite a bit different than uh, everybody calling them to repent. Yeah. I read it. Heard about it in Isaiah 40. You know, I knew you were coming. I think Jesus looks at John and goes, I'm so proud of you, man. I told him down there, I told him you were burning shining lamp. Yeah, I know. I think John wrote about that. Yeah. I like that John guy. i yeah, got the same name. Yeah, I know. I, I told him. I told him how. I told him, what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see? Or, I tell you, more than a prophet. Did you go out to see a bruised wheat or a or shaken by the wind? No, I tell you, John the Baptist. I told him, John. I told him. I told him. You feel it? You feel Jesus' passion for this guy who stood up in adversity and loved Jesus with everything and was obedient to his calling, even to the end, even to when he gave his life, even to the very end where he lost his life for the gospel, for the good news. I can only imagine the affection in Jesus' eyes. Because goes, mm, I love you, bud. I'm so proud of you. Jesus, face to face with Mary Bethany, goes, I'm so proud of you. Good job. I want everybody to know. I'm going to put this, you don't know this, but there's going to be one day this thing called the Bible. I'm going to have, Matthew, are you taking a note? Hey, are you guys getting this? I'm going to have everybody write about it. John, pay attention. I want you to get this. This story is in all four gospels. All four. And so all four gospels go into the New Testament. Then the Bible becomes the the best-selling book in history. Mm -hmm. Billions and billions, right? Some little girl shows up. Pours perfume on Jesus' feet. And whatever is the billions amount of how many Bibles have ever been sold, multiply it times four. And that's many, how many times her story's been told. <clears throat> some little girl just, here you go. <sighs> <laughs> I mean, we got a lot more on her than we do a lot of the disciples. Yeah. Just some girl that just goes, I just want to give all... I just want to give everything i just I just don't want to be half hearted I, I I recognize Jesus that you are who you say you are, and if you are who you say you are, then you deserve my all yes. so I pour it out yes. and I give it away and this girl gets written down I mean there are People even hear that. I've watched over the years. There's a, there's a legacy within DSM of young men and women that just say, "I'm I'm willing to be uncivilized. I'm willing. I, I, I'm ready." And it looks different. Some kids, it's about turning their closet into a prayer room. Some, some, some and that's happened. Some of them, it's about getting up and spending time with Jesus. Some of them it's about fasting, and some of them it's about writing and influencing. And I was talking today to Nicholas Leland. He's, we're talking on the phone today. He's at CCU now, but he was a he was a he was an awesome disciple of Jesus, and uh, he was just telling me the stories about at TCA about how he would rally his team to go play or to go, to go pray before practice and they pray together and they pray together before a game. He told me about their 10-0 and season last year as a baseball team. At the very end of the last game, after the very last game, they all got down on one knee. Nicholas led them in prayer. And you go, oh, well, what's it, what did it do? What, what, what? I'm not asking about what it did. I'm looking for that smile. pour it out this is what I got Jesus I'm a baseball player so what I got I can call my team to pray and I think in the same way that Jesus looked at Mary Bethany and goes I like her well done nice little girl that poured perfume on my feet I think he leans over the balcony of heaven I think he winks at Nicholas and goes well done son calling the baseball team to pray I'm proud of you you're my boy Uh, uh, that's uncivilized civilized Christianity just goes oh well I'll just kind of be sweet and be nice sing Kong Hong rong I Song Tong I A Nong (laughs) but real Christianity says it's not enough to be a subculture it's not enough for it to be just my civilized little Christian life on the side the worthiness of who Jesus is deserves everything so I'm going to give all I was talking on the phone to Zach Dillon today. Zach's in his second year here in DLA. Yes. He was just telling me the story about even rallying. He did prayer meetings. But then he decided he got it, just had a vision. Just had a vision of calling a school to fast. Not just kids, but parents and teachers. What? And you go, well, what did he do? I don't know. Someday. Someday we'll see how every fast and every prayer mattered. But you know what? Right now, it's day after day after day asking the Lord, what can I do? And then you just pour it out. i got an idea. I, you know what? I'm a senior. I'm influential. I'm a leader. I'm good looking. I'm buff. I, I could call us to fast. Everybody knows, you know, that I'm, that I'm a follower of Jesus. I could, I, could, I, could, I could call us to fast. And God does stuff. And here's the deal. We don't just do it because he does stuff. We do it because what we're really looking for is we want that smile. That You're uncivilized. You're going to allow me the worthiness of who I am, who Jesus is. You're going to allow what you see in me and what I've called you to do to be of higher value than what other people think of you. I'm so proud of you. I love you. I delight in you. Good job. Well done. Some of you tonight, that over the course of this weekend, and really over the course of this year, God's going to stir you to not live civilized, churchy, easy, one foot in the world, one foot in the church. Christian journey but you're going to say Jesus you created me you love me you died for me you rose again you ascended into heaven you're seated on a throne you deserve everything and so I am going to embrace some awkward circumstances and I'm going to be an uncivilized Christian I'm going to give you everything Culture isn't going to define me. Jesus is going to define me. I'm going to be defined by his name, his fame, his call upon my life, his sustainment, his life abundant. And I'm going to give him everything. I'm going to give all. I'm going to give everything. And there's going to be moments that It's going to be so awkward. You're going to be at a public school and God's going to call you to do something and it's going to feel awkward. And, and, and people, people will say, some people will be like, well, what, what good did that do? That's a fair question, but only Jesus gets to answer that question because their peewee brain doesn't know everything. What really matters is what Jesus says about that in that moment and what he says to you one day. Because if you do it out of an, uh, an extravagant act of devotion, everybody around you might even create some kind of content, some kind of like, well, what you did could have been given to the poor. Maybe if you hadn't fasted, you know, actually, maybe Jesus ate, Zach, that's dumb. We should all eat for God. You know, you're going to hear all kinds of stuff. You're going to hear it. Stay focused. Jesus, you're real. You're true. You're calling me. You love me. And you put this vision in my heart. I'm going to give you all. I'm going to give you everything. My prayer tonight is that God would just put a burden on our hearts to be uncivilized in a broken culture. That we would give everything to him. That we would not allow the culture to define us, but Jesus would define us. Will you stand with me? Nika, if you'd come on up. Shh. Tonight. Tonight, if you go uh I want to live that way. I don't want to be... Civilized, I want vibrancy, I want a heart alive. I'm willing to embrace the scorn, the awkwardness, some of the pain that comes when you stand and give all as a worshiper, as a prayer, as a holy person as a man or woman set on mission for the gospel. But I'm done with civilized living. I want to be an uncivilized Christian. I want to give everything. If that's you tonight, I want to invite you just to come in really close right here. Stretch out your hands like this, and I want to pray for you. Come as quickly as you can. Stretch out your hands just like this. God we're broken we're weak but we're yours we're loved we're redeemed we're delivered we're healed transformed in your presence Jesus we come to before you tonight set us apart. Set us apart to be wholly yours, God. Do a fresh thing, Lord God, even this weekend in our lives. For us to see a whole new way of living. We want to see a new way. We want to see the Jesus way. We want to embrace giving you everything, God. So we repent, Lord God, of being just doing what's comfortable. We repent of our proneness to care so drastically about what our friends think of us and to live more upon what they think than what you think. But tonight we sign up. We want to care most about what you think, Jesus. We want your smile. And though others might rebuke us or make fun of us, We want you to say, well done. What you've done for me will never be forgotten. Lord God, I pray, Lord Jesus, for my friends tonight. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us. Help us to live wholehearted, uncivilized. I pray for an increase, Lord God, of just... Stories of men and women that are real Christians in the in the dark culture, seventh graders, eighth graders, ninth graders, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. God, Holy Spirit, would you help us? We can't do it just by our own gritting our teeth and trying again. We need God's help. We need you. life into our hearts we want to be authentic real christ followers i give you everything god we want to be ninth graders with a, a story of what jesus has done in our lives we're going to be 10th graders that have a vision for what you want to do in our high school we want to be juniors that live set apart holy and while everybody else is engaged in immorality we stand firm in purity God, we want to be seniors that have a vision that every person in our high school hears the gospel at least once from our lips. God, we want to be, we want to be eighth graders that stand for righteousness. God, we want to be seventh graders that refuse, refuse to care so much about what other people think. We want to be eighth graders that are rooted in the Word of God. We want to be freshmen with stories of prayer and fasting. God, we want to be tenth graders, Lord, that have shared the gospel over and over and over again. We don't want to finish our senior year and have never even talked about Jesus. No, we want you to be on our lips. God, we want to pour ourselves out like a drink offering. We want to pour ourselves out to you like Mary. God, we ask, Lord, have our lives. Take us, Lord Jesus. Use us. Spend us. Help us, God. We need you. We give you everything tonight. You're worth it all, God. You're worth it. Wreck us. Change us. Give us a new vision. Give ninth graders visions of all night worship. Give juniors vision, God, of whole football teams weeping in the place of prayer. To be a subculture, we want to be your church. Why not? Why can't we be the church? Why not us? Why not here? Why not now? Why can't we see a move of God? Why wouldn't you, Lord God, reach down, rend the heavens, and come down? Why wouldn't you use us, Lord God? Use us, an army of young people on our faces, on our knees. Yes, spread for the things of God. We need you. Jesus, have your way, God. We love you, Jesus. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. Because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. They've got a vision and a mission for their life.